I hope you were blessed by that song. Uh, you had an opportunity here uh, just now. Laura Broad was uh, leading with our um, choir and orchestra in that last element of worship. We are very blessed to have uh, Laura and her husband, uh, Chaplain Broad, a part of our church. Uh, the Lord brought them here. Compliments of the U.S. government. Is that right, Gary? I think that's how they ended up getting here. Uh, he's a chaplain uh, in the Navy, and we are very blessed to have them here. Uh, if you were blessed by that, it's a great example and a great illustration of what we're going to talk about today, about people using their gifts in order to be able to bless one another in the life of the church. I, I hope you enjoy being here and love being here as much as I do. Uh, last Sunday, I had an opportunity to uh, be out in the parking lot, came into the east entrance, and I caught Lynn Gordon at the east entrance greeting. Lynn has greeted many, many, many of you along the way somewhere, I'm sure. And uh, I saw her, and she has an unusual way of greeting people. She doesn't just say, good morning, how are you, here's a bulletin, or shake their hand. Lynn's a hugger. And so she, I caught her hugging people, and I took a picture and posted it on Facebook, and I said, this is how everyone should be greeted when they come to church. What a great place uh, and a great expression of knowing that you're loved and you're cared for when you come into a place like that. Several years ago, Phil Hodges and Ken Blanchard wrote a book called The Most Loving Place in Town, a great description of the church. That's who we should be, and in many ways, that is who we are. We are a body of believers who have been redeemed by Christ and commissioned by Him to be known as His followers by one attribute, and that is love. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I hope that you've already uh, had someone to love on you a little bit as you came in here. And if not, I hope before you get away today, you will find some expressions of love uh, already that you will experience in this place today. Well, Pastor Eric is away today, and uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to get to fill the pulpit today and to be here. Have you talked to him this morning yet? Not yet. Okay. Well, he's leading worship with about 100 uh, or so men and uh, their sons. And uh, they've been out camping, doing the outdoor wilderness kind of stuff. And um, I did not make it on that trip. I was looking more for a motel. I, I, that wasn't my thing. But I'm grateful he's out doing that. And so he asked me if I would uh, continue the sermon series that he started last week on Love Is. He helped us last week with understanding that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. These words we find in 1 Corinthians 13 to help clarify and give us greater definition for what love really is. He said that in some ways, not only in Corinth, but in our world today, there is confusion about what love is. Maybe like the little boy whose teacher asked him, do you know what love is? And he said, that's the zero score in tennis. Well, he came from an athletic family. That's not what she was talking about. Now, some of you don't play tennis, and that meant nothing to you whatsoever. But uh, Gracie Allen once said, love is a little bit like a backache. It doesn't show up in an x-ray, but you know it's there. And she was thinking about a feeling. And we use love in our world today, the same word to express lots of different thoughts and ideas. We love pizza, we love our grandma, we love our wife, our husband, love our children, love our dogs. So those are different kinds of love. In the Greek language, we find different expressions of that, different words used to express those different kinds of love. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about this one special kind of love, God's kind of love for us, and the kind of love that we are commanded to have for one another. It's, an, it's a word called agape. And it is a sacrificial, it's a giving, it's an action-oriented kind of love. Not a warm, mushy feeling. Last week, as we looked at uh, verse 4 of chapter 13, uh, Pastor Eric reminded us that there were two specific positive traits that Paul identified in this text that helped define for the church at Corinth what love is. He said that love is patient or love is long-suffering. He gave you a really cool word 
called macrothumia, a Greek word that helped us understand that it was long-suffering or he said a long fuse would be a good picture of that. And then he also reminded us that that patience was the kind of patience that God has expressed toward us in his love for us. Do you realize how long God waited on you to finally come to recognize your own sin and your need for him? How long he waited on you to come bend your knee before him and acknowledge Jesus, his own son, as Lord? That probably took a while. It did for me. I'm grateful for the patience of God. He says love is patient. He said love is kind. And last week, he gave us an illustration of his daughters uh, making, filling out college application or college scholarship applications. And, and how when you fill out an application, you're reviewed and evaluated and you're met and you look over to see if you uh, have need or if you qualify or if you meet their stipulations and criterions. And he said that love should not require an application for us. We shouldn't have to go sign up to be loved. And you know we don't. The Bible tells us that God already loves us. The Bible says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The one thing you cannot say today, truthfully, is that you are unloved. You've never been unloved. You've never been loved more. God loves you deeply. And so the Bible says that love is patient and love is kind. It's not something you have to earn. God loves because that's who he is. That's his nature. And he calls us to love one another in the body of Christ in that same kind of way. So he said, love is patient and love is kind. But before we go on to the next segment of words or phrases we find in verse 4 to describe what love is, and then he goes into what love is not, I want to give you just a broader background of the book of 1 Corinthians quickly, just to help you, I think, see some things that will help us explain these three words that are here. The book of 1 Corinthians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. The book of Acts tells us that Paul helped establish this church while he was uh, traveling on one of his missionary journeys. And then he met a young couple who were tent makers. That was Paul's profession. Uh, that was how he made his living, was a tent maker. And this young couple named Priscilla and Aquila also had the same profession. The apostle Paul met them and over time were able to establish, it was able to establish a church in their home. So this was a church that he was intimately acquainted with. He knew the people in the church and had received reports about some things that were happening in the church. And he was deeply distressed about this church because there were some problems. Now let me just aside for just a moment to help you know something that I, you may or may not have dis dis discerned yet or may not know yet, but every church has problems. I don't know if you knew that or not, but they do, they do. Uh, you and Eric have served more than one church, right? And other staff here have served other churches. And we've all found that other churches had problems. And you know what? We do too. We have problems too. Why? Because we're all on a journey of growing toward Christ's likeness. Once we come to the place in our life where we recognize our sin in our life and the opportunity for our sin to be forgiven, when we acknowledge Christ's offer for forgiveness, we receive him into our lives, there's a journey that begins in our life. And it's a journey of transformation, of helping you and me become more and more like Jesus. You recognize that there are some people sitting here today that have been following Jesus for 40, 50, 60 years maybe. They have a long journey and they have grown to be more and more like Jesus. There are some people maybe that just came to know Christ last week. They've still got work to do. God's still going to be doing some things in their life. There are people sitting here today probably that have never ever crossed that line of faith to entrust their lives to Christ. And their life has not even yet begun that process of being transformed and changed. 
by him. Now, we all come together, and guess what? We see things differently. We struggle. We do things we shouldn't do. We say things we shouldn't have said. And we have to work our way through those relationships, learn how to forgive one another, how to be patient with one another, how to be kind to one another. That's what Paul is concerned about with this church. He said, look, there are some concerns here. There are themes that consistently go through this text. Themes of unity, it's important for the body to work together as one. There are themes of diversity about how God has made us uniquely and gifted us differently. But there is this one overarching theme that continues to go through this book, and it's maturity. Paul is concerned that these men and women grow up in Christ and that they begin to develop a mature way of looking at their faith and living out their faith. And so it's in that context that he is writing to this church at Corinth and saying to them, there are some things that I want to address. And so today he moves on in our text to start in a negative path. He said love is patient, positive, love is kind, positive. And then he says love does not envy. And he goes down this road of things that love is not. You might think that's because, well, it's easier sometimes to describe some things by what they're not than what they are. Sometimes it's hard to come up with just the right words to really describe something well. But it's, it's really more than that. You see, the Apostle Paul is communicating, again, passionately to these people, and he's choosing his words carefully. He says, love does not envy because there was an issue he wanted to address in the life of the church. You know, if uh, we all do this, we choose our words carefully probably in terms of things that we want to address or talk about uh, to other people. Uh, let's say, for instance, I w Jan and I get in the car and we're heading somewhere and she says, did you lock the door? Well, that seems kind of out of the blue. Why would you just ask me did I lock the door? Probably because she's either thinking, I never saw you lock the door, or maybe I have a habit of not locking the door and she wanted to be sure that it was locked. But there was a reason behind her asking that question. And in much the same way, the Apostle Paul brings up this because he knows that the people of Corinth will hear what he's saying. You see, he is talking about in these passages of Scripture something that we miss in our casual reading of the book of 1 Corinthians. It may be that we look at these verses and these chapters and we look at 1 Corinthians 13 and think, that's a great, that's just a great passage of Scripture. Man, it just is so flowery words and it's just wonderful and it feels good to talk about what love is. And yet it sometimes kind of seems out of place, but it's not. Paul was, again, very intentional about how he placed this. If you read in context, starting with chapter 12, what you discover in 1 Corinthians 12 is that Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. He's bringing up a new topic and he's saying, look, we're, we need to talk about these things of gifts in the life of the church. Chapter 12, verse 7, he says, now to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the profit of all. Did you hear that? He said that every believer in Corinth has a spiritual gift. He said, every one of you have been given a spiritual gift. And he tells us what it's for. He says it's for the profit or for the benefit or for the good of all. Now that was true for the church at Corinth, but it's also true for us today. You recognize that sitting here, if you name the name of Christ, if you're one of his followers, you've surrendered your life to Christ, he has gifted you. But he has not given you that gift to put in your pocket or to stick in your coat or to wrap up and hold on to, or to sit on, he's given you that gift to express in the life of the church for the benefit of all. I said to you just a moment ago, Laura uh, was using a gift, and it blessed every one of us, a gift that God's given to her 
And yet, it was for the blessing of all of us. I hope that you're using the gifts that God has given you. That you're expressing them in the life of this church the way he desires for you to express the gift that has been given to you. So that's what chapter 12 is about. Chapter 14 is about the function of the gifts, and he goes on to speak about the different ways these gifts are to be used in the church and how they will be a blessing to other people along the way in the church when they're used properly. And so sandwiched in the middle of this is this seems like a digression to talk about love. You're talking about gifts, and then you're talking about love, and then you're talking about gifts again. But he's still talking about gifts. Chapter 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels and have not love, I'm nothing. I'm a, I'm a, a gong. I'm a, a clanging, clashing cymbal. Doesn't make sense. He said, If I have wisdom, if I have knowledge, if I give all of my money to feed the poor, if I give my body to be burned and have not what? Love. Then I am nothing. So chapter 13 really is about this supreme value that must be attached to every one of the spiritual gifts. He says, for the gifts to be a blessing, they have to be exercised in love, not in selfishness, not in self-serving ways, but in selfless serving kinds of ways. So when he says love does not envy, he understands that they're going to hear what he's saying. They're going to understand what this envy is about because there's a problem going on in the church. If you look at chapter 12, verse 18 and following, you will see a, a, a picture that the Apostle Paul paints about the church. And he says the church, he, and he likens it to the body, to the physical body, and the many parts of the body, and yet it's one body. And the different parts of the body that one part can't say to another part, I have no need of you, that's irrelevant, you don't really matter, I'm what's important here. He said that there are parts of the body that are modest and parts that are immodest, parts that are honored and parts that are not honored. Uh, he, he gives us all these different pictures about the body. What Paul ultimately is saying when he says to them, love does not envy, is that there's a problem in the church. Really, 1 Corinthians 13 is kind of like a well-placed mirror, a spiritual mirror that allows us to look into our own hearts and lives. Now, this mirror, um, my son discovered this morning and my wife discovered was gone because it is at the top of our stairs uh, where each of the bedroom doors come out to a landing before you come downstairs. But a mirror is very helpful, especially a well-placed mirror, because if you want to do your best, probably before you run down those stairs and out the door to work or to a meeting or to church or wherever you're going, it does one well to stop and just take a look to be sure that you're all together. Because what's in here is what other people are going to be seeing, okay? And you want to be sure you're happy with that. Well, the Apostle Paul, in writing 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in some ways is saying, I'm holding up a mirror for you here, and I'm saying that we're to be known by love. And I need you to look in this mirror and see if the things that you see in this mirror look like love. And he said, love is patient. Are you being patient? Love is kind. Are you being kind? Love does not envy. You know, there were some people in the church who had recognized that some people were probably getting attention and being noticed for the spiritual gifts that they had. And some people were envious, jealous, were desirous of having the gift that somebody else had. Not that they would have the same kind of gift, but actually, I want your gift. I think one of the things that allows pastor and myself to work well together is that while I was glad to do this today, I do not want to do this every week. Okay, I have, I have no desire in me to be him. I'm grateful for what he does every week. 
And in this case, in the church at Corinth, there were people that were saying, hey, I want to be what that guy is. I want to get to do that. Do you know that happens in the church today? We could be guilty of saying, I could be real effective for the cause of Christ if I could sing like Laura sang. Or I'd be real effective if I could play a guitar or play the drums like the guys in the, uh, uh, in the music section do. Or I could be really great and effective for Christ if I could teach like one of our life group leaders and teachers. Or I could be really effective if I could, if I could preach like Pastor Eric. But the truth is, 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, Now God has placed into the body each one of the members individually you recognize that he has gifted you and placed you in this body for his purpose? He wants to accomplish something through your life. And so it's not for me, it's not for you to say, I don't like the gift I've got. I want somebody else's gift. He said, that's not love. God understands who you are. God understands how he wants to use you. He has gifted you and fit you for service in his kingdom in just the right place that you want to serve. Sometimes there's jealousy. And when there's jealousy, we need to set that aside. Sometimes people might wonder, well, is envy such a big thing? Is that a big deal, really? I mean, well, you know what? <clears throat> envy killed Abel in the book of Genesis. It was the envy that Cain had for Abel that led to murder. Envy put Joseph in an Egyptian prison because his brothers were jealous of him. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 18, that ultimately it was envy that placed Christ on the cross. Envy is a dangerous thing. Do you know what happens when we look in the mirror and we see envy and jealousy? We need to repent. We need to confess that to the Lord and we need to forsake that so that God could fill us with his love. Envy is destructive. Paul knew that and he said that to the church at Corinth. He went on to say not only is love not envious or does, love does not envy, but he goes on to say love uh, does not parade itself, or love does not boast. It's the word used for bragging. Now, it's interesting in, in our world today that um, how easy it is for us to find ourselves in a place where we are consumed with and even caught up with pointing attention to ourselves. But the Apostle Paul recognized that in the church there was also an issue with boasting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, you will read information, you will read the words uh, Paul wrote to the church about how some of them had divided themselves off into groups. He said, some of you are over here claiming, well, I'm of Apollos, okay? Some of you are saying, well, I'm, I'm with Paul, I'm with him. Uh, and, and that you are identifying yourself with leaders in the church for the purpose of having some superiority or having some place of authority or thinking that you deserve something special because you're connected to one of those leaders. Does that happen today? Well, it does. It does. Now, this particular thing I'm going to say does not happen here, and there's a reason for it. There are some churches that are uh, younger churches, and you would hear someone make a statement like this. Well, I'm a charter member of this church. Now, none of you are charter members. This church is over 200 years old, so God bless you if you are, but you're not, okay? So I'm sure. But what is someone saying when they're saying, I'm a charter member of this church? saying, I deserve some special treatment. I deserve some special privilege here. Uh, and that boasting in that is not beneficial. Paul would go on to write to the church in Corinth that, look, this boasting is of no value, and this boasting is not a picture of love. It's a picture of immaturity on display when you are parading yourself out in front of others and drawing attention to yourself. Your job really is about pointing others to Jesus. 
Pastor Eric reminded us probably three or four weeks ago from the second letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in chapter 5 that we are therefore ambassadors for Christ. What's our job? Our job is to represent Jesus well wherever we go. Our job is to point others to Him, not to be shining the spotlight on ourselves. And so Paul said, look, there's an issue with this boasting and bragging in the church. What do you need to do? You need to repent. You need to confess it. You need to shut that down because that's not helping the cause of Christ. You're doing harm when you're walking around boasting and bragging about who you are. Now, the truth is all of the boast needs to be about the Lord. All of the bragging needs to be about how great God is and what it is that he is doing in the world around us. So the challenge Paul gives us is to make your boast in the Lord not in yourself. Paul goes on from uh, this text to add this last or final phrase in verse 4. He said, love does not only does it not envy, love does not boast, but love is not puffed up. Puffed up. What's that about? Well, there are a lot of words you could use for that. Conceited, self-centered, um, but it has to do with inflation, um, self-inflation. We might say, He's got an inflated ego. You might say he's got a big head, okay? Thinks he's somebody because of the way he carries himself. What does Paul say about that ultimately? He says that's not a picture of love either. You see, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, I'm giving you a mirror to look into here. And you need to allow God to show you whether what you're seeing in your heart really is love, because the things that are being paraded and masqueraded as love sometimes really are not love. Some of you may remember the words uh, because they were etched in my mind as I read this book. Uh, the first four words of the book written by Rick Warren several years ago, The Purpose Driven Life, helps us in this idea about being puffed up, helps us correct that. Does anyone remember those first words of that book? Some of you, it, made, it, it stuck with you as well. It's not about you. It's not about you. Those are the opening lines of that book, our opening words. Because we forget sometimes that the Word of God is the story of God and His interaction with His people. The Bible has but one hero. It is God. Demonstrated on earth in the life of His Son, Jesus Christ. The story is not about us. We get to be characters individually in God's greater story. But it's not about us. It's about Him and what He's doing. And Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, it is your job to do what Jesus said, this 11th commandment. Jesus said in John 13, I give you a new commandment. Number 11, all right? Love one another. He said, as, as He has loved us, we are also then to love one another. We really ought to be the most loving place in town. And Paul said that there was a misunderstanding on the part of many in the church in Corinth. And some of them were all excited about their gifts and they were kind of bragging about and sort of puffed up about the gifts that they had. He, he wrote to them in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, he said uh, that uh, you're not to be puffed up on behalf of one another or against one another. In uh, chapter 5, verse 2, he said, look, some of you are well aware that there is obvious sin going on in the church, and what are you about it? You're kind of puffed up about it. You're sort of holding out your chest thinking, hey, I can do this and still be, still be a follower of Christ. 
Paul said, no, that's not the way it ought to be. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, he admonishes them and warns them and cautions them that knowledge by itself does what? Puffs up. Do people ever get the big head about what they know, about how much scripture they know, or how many things about the Bible they know? Yes, they do. And often it happens at a, at a stage of growth sometimes that means they simply have not come to a place of maturity, of recognizing even as much as I know, there's much I don't yet know. Paul said that this knowledge by itself is puffed up, but knowledge combined with love ends up edifying others along the way. So if we were going to put this in positive terms, because this really is an ought-to sermon. This is not a how-to sermon. This is not three easy ways to love your friend. This is, this is what you ought to be doing as followers of Christ, is what Paul is telling the church in Corinth. It's what he's also telling us today. And he's saying that, look in the mirror. What do you see? Do you see envy? Do you see uh, arrogance or boasting? Or do you see puffed-upness? Do you see pride? What do you see? positive way of putting this would be that love is selfless service. Love is selfless service. It's not focusing on you, it's focusing on God. Another word might be just humility. This selfless service means that you're serving the Lord, you're serving His church with your gifts and not envying the gifts of other people. It means that you're serving in such a way that you're not spending your time talking about everything you're doing, you're just loving others the way Christ loved them. And when you do that, you don't have to spend your time talking about and telling other people about all that you are doing for the cause of Christ. It will become evident to others. And it means not being arrogant or puffed up. Much gets done. You know this already. Much gets done when we're not concerned about who gets the credit. But when we are so consumed with whether we get recognized or whether our name is mentioned or whether we get the credit for that, not nearly so much gets done. Why? Because in reality, Jesus deserves the credit. He's the giver of the gifts. He has given to you, each of you, the gifts that are yours. And so what we have, we did not get because we were good looking or because we were nice or because we worked hard for it. It is the gift of God's grace that he has gifted you to serve his purposes in the life of the church. This humility that he talks about here. Um, needs to be expressed on a daily basis and on a regular basis in the life of our church. See, when we take the gifts that are ours and we begin to use them and serve them for God's purposes, serve the church for God's purposes, others are blessed. And all our concern mainly needs to be is that God receives the glory for what happens in our lives. March 29, 2004 may be a day that some of you might happen to remember. Some of you might have been in Washington, D.C., that was the year that the World War II memorial was dedicated. There was a four-day uh, series of ceremonies and events over the course of that weekend in D.C. And during that time, there were a number of uh, television reports about that event. One such show focused on a series of Medal of Honor recipients that were present there at that time, at that dedication. It was so interesting because these obviously were older men. And as they began to uh, be interviewed by these reporters, you didn't hear them being critical. You didn't hear them fussing about how long it had taken to build this memorial. Uh, what you heard instead was words of humility. Some reporters might try to refer to this individual as a hero. And their response to that would be, oh no, 
they would deflect that praise and point to those who gave their lives. These were men who realized that true selfless service meant giving up one's life. The Apostle Paul said to the church at Galatia, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. But it's Christ who lives in me. You see, not concerned that the spotlight is put on me, deflecting that and pointing others to Jesus becomes our mission. These men on that day recognized that as they pointed to men who had given their all that we might live in freedom and liberty in this country. And it's fitting that today and this weekend that we would remember those that have made that kind of sacrifice. It's also fitting that we would remember Jesus at this time because he becomes our ultimate example of selfless service. He's the one who gave his life, gave his all, demonstrated love in its highest degree in the cross of Christ. He alone is worthy of our worship. You see, Jesus didn't envy. He didn't desire to be something other than he was. He didn't boast about being the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus did not parade himself or was not puffed up about who he was. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But instead, what did he do? He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of men. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those in heaven and those on the earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see that picture of selfless service? Jesus gave everything in order that we might be able to be in a relationship with him. And the example that he set for us is one that we would be able to follow when we receive Christ into our lives. We can't love like this on our own. It's impossible. But with God's Spirit in us, we can love one another in a way that brings pleasure to God. Many of you know, understand this a lot better than I do, but I've at least been told this as I've taken a tour of the Norfolk Naval Base. And you drive down the uh, road by where the ships are docked, if you understand what is there, there are flags that are flown on the mast of each of those ships. And those flags tell a story. There are a number of different symbols that are present on those flags. But I understand that those flags also help you know the highest ranking officer that's on board the ship. If there's an admiral on board the ship, there'll be a flag that'll be flown to indicate that. That reminds me of a, of a, of a hymn that was written years ago that I think expresses this same idea that we're talking about today of humility and love. And the hymn writer said it this way, love is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart for the king is in residence there. And I just remind you that when Christ is on the throne of your life, when you have submitted your life to him in a way that you are living under his lordship, you've died to yourself and allowing him to be in charge of your life there's a flag that's flown high over the castle of your heart. And that flag has written on it the word love. 
Because that love is an expression that the king is in residence in your very heart. That's what Jesus said. By this one thing will everyone know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. I don't know about you, but for me, there are times I get in this tug of war and sometimes I want to nudge Jesus off the throne of my heart and I want to go back and be in charge and I want to be in control. And do you know what things fly over the castle of my heart then? Envy, parading oneself, boasting, arrogance, pride. Those are the things that fly on the castle of my heart when I decide that I want to be back in control. So can I remind you today that the Word of God becomes like this mirror. And it becomes a way for us to look inside. For us to ask God, what is it, God, that you see in my heart? Would you expose and would you examine what is there in my heart? And would you help me see that when there are things there that don't look very much like you, that I need to confess those? I need to acknowledge those. I need to repent and turn away from those and ask you to replace those with things that will help me grow up to be more like Jesus. The Bible says that we're all to be filled with God's Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When we look into the mirror spiritually, those are the things that ought to be evident in our lives. I remember what I said, we're all on a journey. And some of us have, have really seen some of those things develop wonderfully in our lives. And maybe there are other things in there that we're struggling with that we're still, God's still working on us in that process. Don't give up. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete that good work even until the day of Christ Jesus. This is not an effort at beating anybody up. It's a way for us to take an honest look in the mirror and say, God, what do I need to do? Recently, our staff went through a staff development exercise that um, Pastor led us on and, and divided us up into teams and really allowed us to be able to evaluate ministries that were not under our direct oversight and other people would direct the ones that we oversee. Now, i got to tell you, that produced a little bit of anxiety when we realized that was going to happen. This is called evaluation, you know. And evaluation is never fun. But can I tell you, it's incredibly valuable. You know, there are things about our lives that we don't always see. We just kind of have blinders on sometimes, and we just don't recognize. Every one of us came away from that experience grateful because others around us, in a spirit of love, said, I love you, but you need to work on these things. This area needs some help. This needs to be changed. This needs to be redirected. We came away from that better, not worse. And I tell you, that's exactly what God wants to do for you. Because of his great love for you, he wants to expose things in our lives that need to be gone. And he wants to replace them with himself. I'm going to ask you today to allow God to do that very, very thing.